relationships. Some of you have been dealing with great suffering. And so today we're going to talk about suffering. But today we're going to talk about a particular type of suffering. Because there's different kinds of sufferings in, in there. There's physical suffering, there's emotional suffering, there's relational suffering, there's the, um, you know, just life suffering. There's the kind of suffering that you go through when you make bad decisions, right? We all know what that's like. Anybody here make a, ever make a wrong turn anywhere and suffered for it? Sure, sure, sure I have. Sure we have. So today we're going to talk about suffering. I want you to put on your thinking caps. We are not going to play in the shallow part of the pool today. We're going to get into the deep waters, and I need you to come in. Now, if you do not know Christ, or if your relationship with Christ is shallow, what I mean by that, I don't, I don't want to be offensive, but I, I guess what I'm saying is, if Jesus Christ is not your all in all, if you don't live every day for the glory of God, then maybe your relationship with Christ is not as deep as you, as you, as you would be benefited by. If, you don't, if, if every day of your life it's like, God, I want to glorify you, I want to lift you up, I want my life to count for your glory, then, then, then this is going to be a rough one, this talk is. And the reason it's going to be rough is because what we're going to lean on deeply is the beauty and the glory of who God is. And, it, and so as I talk, I know that some of us don't even have a category for what we're going to talk about today. In other words, you don't, it, you, you, it would be like telling a blind person, um, describe green for me. Tell me what blue's like. You know, they don't have a category for it in their minds. They don't have a place to, to put it. Today, as we talk about suffering, we're going to talk about it, and some of you don't have a category for it. I'm going to give you the, the point from at the beginning. Today's point is that when we we are, and here, let me lead it up a little bit more. Today we're going to talk about the kind of suffering that God brings into our lives. Did you get that? Some of you have never even thought that God even brings suffering into our lives. In fact, that's not very been a category for you. You think it's Satan, it's your ex, it's your body breaking down, it's whatever. They bring suffering into your life, but God, God won't bring suffering into my life. Now, listen to me. We're talking about being mature. We're talking about growing up. Today we're going to talk about the kind of suffering that God brings to your life. And we're going to talk about how to navigate through it. I'm going to give you one instruction, and then I'm going to give you one observation. That's the way it's going to go today. Let me tell you what the big idea for today is, or the main point. The main point is that when you and I suffer, we have an opportunity to suffer no matter what it is, even if you don't know why you're suffering. You know, like, right, you smoke a bunch of cigarettes, you get, you know, your, your lungs are all messed up, you get cancer. Everybody knows. Nobody asks the question why. We're not talking about that suffering, right? You smoke a lot, you get cancer. No surprise, they have dead people on the box of cigarettes, just in case you didn't know. You know, right? It's like, there's, there's no shock. I'm not railing. Listen, if you're new and you're, you still smoke, that's not my point today. My point is that when you suffer and you don't know the reason why, like it's not clear to you, you have an opportunity to suffer for the glory of God. And I'm going to describe to you what that might look like. What you can do, one thing you can do to suffer for the glory of God, 
and one observation you can make. Um, also, um, one of the things that I want to let you know is this. I have conversation. I, my, my family is almost born, we're all born skeptics. None of us believe in God naturally or quickly or want to even, right? Me first. And, and it just it got translated to my kids. I, I came to church for two years before my wife gave her heart to Jesus. She was just a natural skeptic. My kids are natural skeptics. They still ask me really hard questions. And one day we were um, just kind of walking along the beach, and they asked me a question about Genesis, about Satan and all this other stuff, and I saw where it was going, and I told them this. I told them this. At the end of the conversation, I want you to know that I'm going to be able to answer you for about three or four different levels, and then at the end of the day, we're going to raise our hands, go, I don't know, for the glory of God. That's the answer. Like, we're going to get to the point where the, answer, the only answer is going to be for the glory of God. Now, in everything in life, the ultimate answer is for the glory of God. Here's the problem. If you read this book with the mindset that this is supposed to make you healthy, happy, that this is supposed to give you what you want, that the, the, the book or that God exists for you, you're going to have a tough time today in this talk and when you open up your Bible. If you read the Bible and go, oh, well, I read the Bible because, you know, my marriage gets better. I read the Bible because, you know, my life is a little less crazy. And by the way, read your Bible. Your marriage will get better and your life will be a little less crazy. Don't hear me say anything like opposite of that. But if that's the primary reason that you read it, you must understand that in the end, you're reading the Bible wrong-headed. That in the end, God exists for his own glory. And that we would do well. So, we're going to talk about suffering. Let me tell you the kind of suffering we're not going to talk about. We're not going to talk about the kind of suffering that your mom said, please don't date that guy. Please don't get with that guy. Please don't get with that guy. And then you went ahead and got with that guy, and he did exactly what mom said he was going to do. Right? No, nobody identifies with that, right? Nobody has any idea what I'm talking about. Right? And she says, don't get with that girl. Don't get with that guy. Don't go to, you know. And then, and then you go ahead and you go, oh, see, the problem here is that I've accumulated more wisdom in my little 14 years than you have in your 40. And so I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm, so, I'm the smartest person in the room, which is what every teenager does with their parents. They say, I'm the smartest person in the room. And so then they go, they go, and they experience, um, they experience this awful pain. They, they go, they date, they do the thing, and, 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 and then they come back, and they're absolutely brokenhearted, and they suffer. That's not the kind of suffering I'm talking about. We're not going to be talking about that suffering today. We're also not going to be talking about the kind of suffering where, um, and, and maybe I should just say this really briefly. Um, some of us have grown up, because we were traumatized, as children. Do you know what I'm saying when I say traumatized as children? There was a, an abuse. There was a, an offense. And when I say offense, I mean a grievous one. Sexually, verbally, physically, in other ways. There was an abuse that was done to us. And because of that, we grow up with the sort of, um, I'm a jinx or I'm, you know, 
or, or I'm cursed mentality. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. I'm cursed mentality. And so anything that happens to you, you deserve because of all these, you know, you just have in your mind that that's, that's the way things are. Let me just say that that's from the pit of hell. If you've received Christ, any curse that you would have gotten was given to Jesus. He received it on the cross. There's none of that for you. Now, so that's stuff that where you start blaming yourself, where something happened at eight years old and then something totally unrelated at 36 happens, and you go, oh, it's just because I'm cursed. No, no, no. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's not healthy. That's not helpful. That's not godly. That's not biblical. That's not any of that. That's not the kind of suffering we're talking about today. Today we're talking about a very specific kind of suffering. Not the suffering that we bring on ourselves. Not the suffering that we think that we're cursed with. Not that kind of suffering. Today we're going to be talking about the kind of suffering that God not just allows, but causes. That's rough, right? To think in terms that God causes suffering. I'm going to share with you a story because I know you were doing your devotionals this morning in this book. I'm going to read, it's Ezekiel, right? Everybody did the, the no, okay, nobody reads Ezekiel, right? And poor Ezekiel, he's, he's got such a good book and it's ignored. Go into your Bibles. Now, if you do not have your Bible, if you're new to this place, if you've been coming around for a while, get a Bible. You don't have one? We'll give you one. But get a Bible. Okay. If you don't have a Bible, we thought about you. So I want you to look into your bulletin. And in your bulletin, there's a place, just like, you know, how we, you could follow along with the songs and all that other stuff. In your bulletin, there's a thing called, it's not like you just turn one page and you're there, um, or maybe two, uh, a sermon map. The sermon map has all the scriptures and it has lines for you to write in. I need you to get a pen or pencil out so that you could write in there and be with us. So, um, so we're going to look. At, so we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter twenty-four. Ezekiel chapter twenty-four, and we're going to be looking at verses fifteen. And a little bit more than that. We're probably not going to go farther than 19, even though your, your scripture and your, and your sermon map has more than that. We're probably not going to go beyond that. Now, let's, let's do this quickly. Ezekiel, now look up at me. Let me give you some history here, because this is not in a vacuum. Ezekiel loves God. God has called Ezekiel with a tough task. Ezekiel does not have a small or easy task to experience. Ezekiel is living at about the time where his people are being um, attacked by, di by different countries and be they're being carted off. Anybody ever heard of Daniel? Or anybody here ever heard of that? Like Daniel in the lion's den? Have you heard that? Okay, that Daniel. And anybody here ever heard of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Okay, right? The biblical firemen, right? Anybody ever heard of them, right? They get thrown into the fire, right? And all that other stuff, and they don't burn and all that other stuff. Okay. At the, this is at the same historical time, about 20 years, maybe a little bit more than 20 years removed, but generally at about the same time. So a nation comes, Babylon, comes, attacks Judah. They, now, here's the deal. The reason that the nation is coming is because God sent them. I told the first service, 
that you could stop me at any time, raise your hand if you have a question. I'll do that for this service too, even though it scares me to death with some of you. <laughs> um, you can raise your hand and you can ask me a question. I'll try to answer it for you. If it'll be answered in the rest of the sermon, I'll go, listen up, I'm getting there. If I can answer it right away. But you can just go ahead and free because this is that sensitive a subject. Okay? So we'll try it today see how it goes. Okay. God sent them. God sent them because God people, God's people had turned away from him. God's people had turned their backs on him. And God said, God said, this is, this is terrible. What you're doing is terrible. And what they were doing was terrible. They were disgusting. I mean, uh, honestly, if, if you're not sure about what rebellion looks like when God's people rebel against God, just think about this. Think about this. If your spouse, while you were at work, right? And, and let me say first this. In the temple that God had built, God had built this temple that symbolically he was supposed to dwell in. God was supposed to dwell in there, and what he did was he set up their entire structure. Their whole city was structured this way, where God would be at the center of their town, and there would be three tribes to the north, three tribes to the south, three tribes to the east, three tribes to the west, and then there would be God's temple in the very center. It would symbolize that God is at the center of our lives. He's at the center of our country. He's it. He's the one we run to. He's the one we praise. He's the one we do ministry from. He's the awesome one. He's God. He's at the center of our lives. What these people did was that they started to bring false gods into the temple to worship them. Statues and things like that. Into the temple to worship them. Pray to them while they still call themselves God's covenant people. If you're not sure how offensive that is to God, it would be like your spouse while you're at lunch and your kids are still there. Like, you know, like, you know, it's summertime. Your spouse comes in and has another person with them, right? So your wife has another man, your, you know, your husband has another, uh, another girl by the hand, and they're walking into their bedrooms, and the kids go, uh, what are you doing going into the bedroom? With that guy. That's not dad. That's not mom. And then don't worry about it. Don't worry. I, I, I still love your father. I'm st- I still really want to be with your father. Um, but just give me 30 minutes. You, do, you, do you feel how offensive that could be? Right? Does that, does that for some of you, you've experienced something like that. It's just, it's gut-wrenching. It's gut-wrenching. That's what this was like. They had turned their backs on God. They had played God out, if you will. And God said, he sent the country. The country took away a first wave of people. You would think at this point the people would turn back to God and go, God, you know, we were, we were wrong. They didn't. Came back. The, people came, the, country, the other country came back again. Took another wave of people. This is where Ezekiel goes away. It's about 15, 20 years after the first deal. Ezekiel gets taken away in. Ezekiel is in this land where he loves God and he's been trying to tell the people about this great God and to turn from their sin. They refuse to listen to him because of their sin. He's suffering with them. And then God gives instruction to him. And honestly, it's going to take your breath away. I don't even know how to 
describe this. I'm not sure I did a great job in the first service. It's just breathtaking. Listen to this. Verse 15, chapter 24, verse 15. The word of the Lord came to me. Look up at me. Ezekiel's a prophet. That's what happens with prophets. Prophets get a word of the Lord. I know some of us grew up in like some sort of charismatic circles where it was like prophetess so-and-so and prophet so-and-so. And what they really meant was fortune teller, right? The prophet always had, right? So here's what the prophet would do. If, if you're in 20th, 21st century America, right, the prophet lays hands on you, and I see that you're going to get a job by next week, and it's going to be more money than you thought, and you're going to be like, you know, it's like if you've ever grown up in that environment, I'm not trying to make fun of it, I'm just saying um, that's kind of what they do. That's kind of what happens, right? Now, a prophet in God's word is nothing like that. He's not a fortune teller. The prophet, his main job is simply to speak the word of the Lord. In a sense, I am, and I hate to say it this way, I'm doing the, I should say it better this way, in a sense, I'm doing the work of a prophet. I'm saying, thus saith the Lord. This is God's word. It has nothing to do with the future, and it has nothing to do with, you know, uh, uh, you know sort of a, a fortune telling. It has everything to do with declaring what God's word is says. That's the kind of prophet he is. So the word of the Lord comes to Ezekiel. Verse 16. Son of man. That's the title. That's one of the titles that he gave to Ezekiel. It's one of his favorite titles for Ezekiel. Son of man, with one blow I am about to take away from you the delight of your eyes. Look at me. Look at me. This is unbelievably powerful. God is using, it's interesting because now, God is doing something with Ezekiel. The delight of his eyes. Do you know who that's going to be? Or who that is? It's his wife. One blow. I'm going to take away the delight of your eyes. Did Ezekiel sin? No. Did Ezekiel disobey God? Is Ezekiel receiving punishment for something that he did? Did Ezekiel deserve this? Did Ezekiel... This has nothing to do with any of that. And if you live life thinking that God is supposed to... God's job... God lives for me. Not I live for God. God lives for me. God lives to make me pleasant. God lives to make me happy. God lives to give me what I want. If you live like that, then a message like this messes you up. Because you say, God, you have no right. God, you are not. And God goes, but I made you. And I made everything you see. Everything is mine. Almost like, um, it's always shocking to me. Whenever I ask um, for ki- my kids for a bite of their food, whenever they say no, that's always shocking to me. That's shocking to me. Because I recognize that everything they have, like the spoon that they have, that they're eating their meal, right? Me. I gave it to them. The person who bought the meal that they're eating. Me. I did that. Right? The dish that they put their food on. My dime. Right? Right? And so whenever I ask my kids 
for a bite of their food. It's always shocking to me when they say no. I go, really? I think I want my whole meal back. Now you can ask me for a bite. And that would be legitimate. I actually don't do that, but you get my point. It's crazy. It's crazy. Can't do that. See, but here's the thing. Those kids actually think that. I remember one time my son was watching a movie. And he said, Pa, I don't want you here. Because <laughs> he's watching this movie, you know. He goes, no, Pa, I just want to watch the movie on my own. You're going to have to get your own place then. <laughs> I don't know if you know. That's my uh, computer. And the chair you're sitting in, that's mine too. You feel a real strong need to be alone? <laughs> you can go to work. <laughs> I want to watch the movie alone. You've got to be kidding me. Now that one I actually did. And, and so listen, so here's my point. Here's my point. I, I'm that way, and, I, and, and I, you know, we say it jokingly and all that other stuff, and I'm trying to keep it light, but, but check this out. Everything, everything is God's. These arms, this ability to think, this, this body, these clothes, this joy that I experience as I see you grow, this, this place, this air conditioning, this everything, the clothes on your back and the children that you rear, the, the health that you have, the eyes that you see with, everything is God's. Everything belongs to God. And it isn't until you start shifting and thinking God lives for me and you start living in the truth that I exist for the glory of God. It isn't until you start doing that. But listen, the truth is, it's a lot easier to live life thinking God lives for me. That's why. Listen to me. Come, come, come a little closer. That's the reason some of y'all left church a few years ago, isn't it true? Because God didn't live for you enough. Like, whatever happened, it exploded. Like, you know, the relationship, oh, God, you know, I brought the relationship to you. You were supposed to sprinkle a little bit, and then everything worked out fine. And then that, that was, it was all supposed to be like that. And God didn't work it out the way you wanted it to. And you say, you know what, God? You ain't doing your end of the job. I think I'll go to somebody else, see if I can find somebody else. I think I'll take it on myself. See, see, see. if you continue to live like God exists for you, then you'll never have the true joy and you'll never be able to experience life. Because listen to me, I don't know if you, you know, has anybody here, like, noticed life is rough? I don't know, maybe you haven't been paying attention, but, you know, life is sometimes rough. Sometimes you grow up in a culture that gives you longings and desires I grew up in a, in a, in a and I'm not saying this all about Puerto Rico, I'm just telling you about the little corner of Brooklyn that I grew up in and in the culture that I grew up in. It was a big deal for men to get women. Lots of women. Now that's rough when you have a face like mine because I just don't, I don't qualify to be Rico Suave, but what I'm saying is, right, that, that's, I got other friends who qualify and it didn't work out for them so well. But, um, but here's my point. It was part of my culture. And so as I grow older and I see, no, 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 that doesn't glorify God. 
Well, I have to go against some natural desires and natural tendencies and things that I grew up with. Because God doesn't exist to make me happy. I exist for God's glory. Does that make sense? Okay. God said in one blow, I'm going to take away the delight of your eyes. In the same verse, verse 16, in the second part of it, God gives Ezekiel just unbelievable instructions. I'm going to explain it to you in a minute. Yet do not lament or weep or shed any tears. Verse 17. Groan quietly. Do not mourn for the dead. Keep your turban fastened and your sandals on your feet. Do not cover the lower part of your face or eat the customary food of mourners. Look up at me. Okay. A couple of things. Number one, um, I want to say that this is descriptive, not instructive to us. It's describing, this portion, portion of Scripture describes what God told Ezekiel. It's not the way we should all mourn. God tells Ezekiel, all the culturally relevant ways that you mourn in their culture, they would wail, they would take off their turban, put dust on their head. It would be very, if you've ever seen a a funeral in the Middle East, if you've ever seen a funeral in an urban setting, right? African-American culture, Puerto Rican culture, people will jump on caskets. I've seen, I mean, it's just like crazy. Like, I, I mean, I... I could tell you stories. I mean, I do funeral. This is what I do. Like, I, I, you know, weddings, funerals, church, and counseling, and all that other stuff. And I'm telling you, in certain cultures, there is a very overt way. You know, some people faint, right, or have fainting fits. I don't know if they faint or they're just trying to proclaim how saddened they are so they drop themselves to the floor. Have you ever seen something like that? Yeah. And so, in this culture, they take off the turban, they put dust on their head, they... They, um, when it says eating the food of mourners, people would take like a little, you know, a lasagna or a con gandules and some pork chops. You know how like when somebody dies, you take them a little bit of food? And the reason that you do that and the reason that they do it is for their comfort, their mourning. And you and I mourn. And you and I hurt. And you and I go through difficulty. And we suffer. And so God has put in his word that it's okay to try to comfort those who mourn. Go ahead, bring them the harokongandulas, bring them the lasagna, bring them the spaghettis, help them to mourn through that. Ezekiel, um, God says to Ezekiel, there'll be none of that. Really? Yeah, yeah, there'll be none of that. Now, here's the deal. God, now, actually, before I go on to this, can you walk with a God like that? Or if your God... If your God does, let me ask you something. If your God does something you don't like, is he still God? If your God doesn't, now, now listen to what I'm saying. If your God doesn't allow or even takes away something that you've been hoping for, give me the job, Lord, I just want to provide for my family. No. I remember, I, I went through the toughest two years of my life. Toughest two years of my life, 2007 to 2009. Those are the toughest two years. There's no close second. It was the toughest two years of my life. I paid my bills and became homeless anyway. Uh, My mother had a stroke and was in the hospital. Any of you who've ever had a sick parent, 
know the unique emotions you go through. One day, oh, look, it looks like she's getting better. The next day, she has a 104-degree temperature, and you're like lower than dirt. And then the next day, oh, look, she's talking to me. Maybe she'll get better. And then the day after that, the, they, they call you up and say, uh, Edwin, come on in. Uh, you know, we don't know how you... It's touch and go forever. They messed up her medications. My mother takes medications for her mind. She then got into a, a, a circumstance where her landlord tried to kick her out. So now I'm going to court, going to the hospital. I'm homeless. My father at that point chose to um, just leave. I don't know how else to say. I felt like he abandoned us when I was 12 years old. When I was 12 years old, he left, and he left again. He didn't leave around the corner. He left to another time zone. He left to another continent, and he never told anybody. He just left. I found out two weeks later. And then after that, somebody stole my computer where all my work was. You know, you, you, you know, some of you, all your work is in your car. You know, like, you know, if you lose your car, you can't get to work. You can't do all that. All of my work was in my hard drive on my computer. Well, this all happened within this two years. I can't tell you. I'm not even talking to you about the stress that that put on my marriage, about the, the necessity to continue to do ministry and not tell, you know. It's just like I can't even tell you about the pressure. And so in that time, we put in a bid for about mm, 50, 75 houses. I don't know. We probably looked at 150. But we put in a bid for a ton of houses. The one house we thought we were going to get about a year and a half into it, I remember the, the moment distinctly. I opened up the door, not opened up, the, went through the, um, the revolving doors at the Brooklyn Library, right across the street from the um, Prospect Park. Right? Grand Army Plaza, right? And, and so I walked through the door, and as clear as I'm talking to you now, we had just put the bid in for the house. We had nothing but hope. We were like, oh, man, things are going to turn up. Things are going our way. You know, this has been a rough year and a half, but things are going to get better. And I remember praying to God. I remember praying to God, God, for this Christmas, I would like to give my wife a kitchen. How's that? I'd like to give my wife a kitchen, a kitchen that she, she was, my wife was cooking in a kitchen, and we still had the men at the, at the 360 Skimmerhorn. We were to, and so she had to share the kitchen with homeless and, and, you know, the tension behind that and always walking with your daughters and kids to make sure that they're safe and locking them in. And it's just that I can't even describe to you. But now watch this. This is important. I walk out of the library, and the bid is in, and things are going to turn around, and there's so much hope, and whew, you know, mommy's going to get better, and, 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 and we're going to find the place, and we'll rebuild the relationship with Ba, and we'll get a new computer, and we'll start writing again. And, and, it's, and then just in that instant, God said, you're not going to get the bid, Ed, and not for a while. He said, you're not going to get the house, and not for a while. It took me two or three days to assimilate before I could tell my wife um, that I think that we're not going to get the house. I think the Lord spoke to me, and, and we're not going to get the house. Two or three days of tears, and listen to me. I just, I want to do what's right. I want to provide for my family. There's nothing wrong with this. This is good. God said, no, I'm going to make it so that you don't get it. Really? And it was in that time that this idea, just, wait, 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 God, you don't live for me. I live for you. I live for your glory and your praise and your honor. And I'm not trying to say, you know, like, 
it, it, you have to tell the story quick so it looks like I'm real on. I'm telling you, that was a rough two or three days. That was a rough two or three days where I had to just kind of crystallize. God, you are glorious. You don't lift the delight of your eyes. What happens when you go to the, what happens when you go to the doctor and he says, incurable? Is God still God? What happens when the spouse says, I'm not coming home? Is God still God? What happens when you put out 300 resumes? It's been two years. You've had 80 interviews. The bills are piling up and she is going to leave if you don't get something soon. The kids are hungry. You've asked everybody, you've exhausted your savings. And then the job comes in and the guy goes, thank you, but we'll keep your resume on, on file. Um, but no, we've chosen someone else for the position. Is God still glorious? And see, this is why I'm talking to you. Because what's going to happen in your life, I guarantee you, is that things are going to happen in your life that are going to be so overwhelmingly painful to you. So discouraging to you. That if your mindset is that God is supposed to make me healthy, wealthy, and wise, God is supposed to give me happiness, God is supposed to... Then what's going to happen is you're going to go to God... You're going to go to God like the people of Israel and you're going to say, God, you don't satisfy me. Husbands, could you imagine your wife telling you that? God, you don't satisfy me. I'm going to go to these other gods. They'll do it. I'll go to manipulation. I'll go to handling it myself. I'll go to controlling it myself. I'll go to whatever. But I'm not going to trust you, God. You don't satisfy me. God says, the delight of your eyes is going to be struck down with one blow. So listen to Ezekiel's response. Now, before, actually, before I go into um, Ezekiel, let me explain to you also something. In the end, Ezekiel was going to be an example to the people. And there's two points that I'm going to ask you to write down in just a few minutes. One thing I want you to do and one thing that I want you to observe But I want you to notice, jump down to verse 25. God is speaking about what's going to happen to the people. And you, son of man, on the day I take away their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes, their heart's desire, and their sons and daughters as well. Look at me. Look at me. There are three characters that are going to be suffering in the story that we're reading right now. The first one is Ezekiel. Ezekiel is suffering, not because of disobedience, but because of obedience, in fact. Isn't that true? He's being obedient, and that's why he's suffering. But there's another group of people that are suffering. It's the people of Israel. It's God's people. God's people are suffering because of disobedience. Ezekiel is suffering because of obedience. The people are suffering because of disobedience. But there's a third. Do you see him? Who's suffering? God is suffering. All over the Bible, God says his people are like his wife. And his wife has gone off whoring after other men. Gone off looking for other lovers. 
God is suffering here. And so God is saying, no, 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 you can't do this anymore. This is going to be destructive to you. And so Ezekiel, something's going to happen in Ezekiel's life. He's going to lose his wife. And in these next two verses, we get instruction. We get a glimpse as to what to do when great suffering hits us. We get instruction as to what to do. Here it is. Verse 18. Anybody know what a life verse is? Life verse is a verse that you want to pattern your life after. This is my life verse. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and in the evening my wife died. The next morning I did as I had been commanded. Let's read it all together, okay? On a count of three. One, two, three. So I spoke to the people in the morning. In the evening my wife died. The next day is commanded. Sure. Listen what we see here in this verse. The church, listen to me. The church, the church is not a hospital. Hospital is what happens when you're a sick person and then you run to the hospital and you go, make me better. And then they make you better and then you don't go back to the hospital again. The church is not a hospital. You know what the church is? It's an army. And we're being shot at. And there's enemy fire. And nobody's surprised in a, in, a, in a battle that they're being shot at. The church is an army. You are in an army if you're in Christ. And there's a battle. And so could you imagine? You're in a battle. And, and there's heavy firefighting. And you've received a radio signal from your commanding officer. And they say, we want you to take the hill. We want you to take the hill. At all, whatever the cost, you have to secure that hill. And then you, go, you move on from your, your, your uh, commanding officers and you go forward to take the hill and then somehow your, your audio device is destroyed. It's broken. It's destroyed. You can no longer get signal. So listen, here's what you do if you're in the army. You know what you do? You do the last order you were given. You see, Ezekiel, his life was rocked. In, what did Ezekiel do before his, his wife died? It says it in the first, ver, the first part of verse 18. What did he do? He spoke to the people. Sure, because that's what he was called to do. That's what his responsibility was. Then his wife died. The next morning, what did he do? He, yeah, he did as he was commanded. He did as he was commanded. Sometimes, listen to me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write this down. When you suffer, what I want you to do is go with the last instruction God gave you. When you don't feel God around you, when you don't sense His presence, when the pain is great, when the tears are many, when the heart is broken, when the weight is weighty, I want you to do what God last told you to do. When your head is spinning, do what God last told you. Not because you feel like it, not because you want to, but because you are going to be obedient to glorify God even in the most difficult 
of circumstances. You're going to glorify God. Hudson Taylor was a missionary to China. He was, a, honestly, um, he was a unique guy um, in this. Hudson Taylor, um, after the Boxer Rebellion um, uh, that happened in China, uh, Hudson Taylor was called by God to go to China and share Jesus. He was so committed, he learned the language, grew his hair, dyed it black, and braided it so he could fit in a little bit better. I mean, like, you know, like long, you ever seen like those long braids and stuff like that? Yeah, long braids. White guy. White guy. English accent. Hudson Taylor, right? He served in China. Listen to me. Nobody knew Christ in China. He came into China. At the end of his life, at the end of his life, after having served, his, his impact is so great in China, there's about 50 million people uh, who's, who worship Jesus in China, which is only a drop in the bucket. There's like a, over a billion, I mean, there's like a whole bunch of people, in, I mean, there's a lot of people there. It's a drop in the bucket, 50 million people is. But watch this. Those 50 million people could all trace their spiritual heritage to this one guy. Nobody knew Jesus. He shared it with a bunch of people. Those people shared it with a bunch of people, and it kept on going. So he has grandchildren and great-grandchildren till this day, right, in China, loving Jesus. At the end of his life, he couldn't even move to avoid bed sores. Imagine that. And he said this. He said, at the end of his life, he said, Hudson Taylor said this. He said, I don't know what else to do but trust, in him, trust my life in his hand. That's what faith does. Faith doesn't say, God, you owe me. you got to give me. You owe me. No, faith goes, God, I'm going to glorify you. Even if I can't move, I'm going to glorify you with my trust. That's what faith does. Um, we think of uh, a missionary to India, and her name is going to come to me. Um, she slipped in her bathroom. She, she was a missionary to India. She served those people for about 50 years, all her life. She slipped in her bathroom and hit her back in such a way. As, I, I mean, it, it, it doesn't take much to throw out your back. She never got out of that bed. She went on a bed and never got out 20 years. 20 years of suffering on that bed with chronic back pain. Some of you who suffer with chronic back pain, you, you, I mean, you get cortisone shots. This is like 60 years ago. She suffers on that bed of affliction and she serves Jesus. And you know what she does? She was supposed to share the gospel. That's what she was to do. But she couldn't leave her room. So you know what she did? She started to write books. Some of the deepest, most profound words you'll find in the Christian, and I wish her name would come to me, maybe it will before the end of the service, have been penned by her hand. Suffering. You do what you were last instructed to do. So when you leave here and you go out those doors and then you get that phone call and it makes your whole life turn upside down, you go, I don't know what to do. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to do what God has already told you to do. 
I want you to wake up in the morning and I want you to lift up holy hands and say, God, you're great. There's no one like you. Not because you feel like it, but because God is truly great and there is really no one like him. Even when I'm having fights with my wife, she's still a pretty lady. Do you understand what I'm saying? That even when you're in the midst of pain and you don't understand God and God is completely confusing to you, you can go, God, you're great. You created the stars in the universe and yet you know me deeply. You, have, you know the sins of my life and yet you have mercy in abundance. You could have called for my life, but instead you called for my salvation. Die, you lived the life in Christ that I should have lived and you died the death that I deserved to die. And then you rose again on the third day for my salvation, ascending to the Father. You have done all this for me, and you are great, even if everything else is falling apart. See, this is, this is Christianity. This isn't me-anity. This is Christ at the center of our lives. So I spoke to the people in the morning. And in the evening, my wife died. The next day, I did as I was commanded. Now listen to me. I'm not telling you to do this as a person who hasn't suffered. I, could t- I-, I know I haven't suffered like you. I know your suffering is, uh, everybody's suffering is greater than everybody else's. So I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that my suffering is greater than yours. What I'm saying is that even through tears, you can go, I trust you. This is painful, but you're good. I don't understand, but you have wisdom. I don't know what to do next. I'm going out of my mind, but would you let me love you, even as I'm losing my mind? That's what I want you to do. When you suffer, I want you to go with the instructions that you've been given. I want you to wake up, and I want you to read your Bible, and I want you to praise God. I want you to get up, and I want you to connect in your small group. I want you to come and be fed God's word to share it with your family and your friends and everywhere else you go. I want you to do what God last commanded you. Spurgeon, a great um, pastor of like two centuries ago, like 19th century, um, said this, when I can't, speaking of God, when I can't trace his hand, I can trust his heart. Isn't that good? When I, don't, when I can't tell what God is doing and why he's doing it and when he's doing it and when is this going to stop. When I can't trace his hand, when I don't know what God is doing, I can trust his heart. In the end, my prayer is that th- you would do this. You would simply do what you've been commanded to do. I'm going to pursue you, God. I'm going to meet in our congregation. I'm going to lead my family. Listen to me. Listen to me. Husbands, when your wife is treating you badly and all of the emotions in the world and you feel like you're being persecuted for no good reason, maybe you're paying the penalty for her ex-boyfriend or something, I don't know. When that's happening, I want you to honor your wife, not because she's respecting you or anything like that, but because that's the last order you were given. Wife, listen to me. Listen to me, wife. 
When your husband is not as loving as you wish he could be. When your husband is not living out the scripture the way you wish he would. He's not living Ephesians chapter 6. He's not dying for you. He's not, he doesn't look like Jesus. I want you to respect him because, th- because even while your emotions are going crazy, listen to me, that's the last instruction you've been, you see, you've been given. When your kids are out of their minds and they're going astray, I want you to continue to pray for them. I want you to continue to rebuke and encourage and discipline I want you to continue to do that. Why? Because it was the last instruction. In other words, when your emotions go haywire, I want you to do the last thing that God would tell you to do. This, uh, just this past week, and I was talking to a, another pastor, and God is simply opening doors for me to be able to minister to other pastors. And he has a, a much bigger church than this one. And uh, he's sharing to me about some of the struggles that he has with my wife. Not my wife. I hope not my wife. His wife. Struggles that he has with his wife, and I was um, and um, and I was talking to him about this, and he got to the point. He goes, "Man, you know," I said, "I said, do me a favor, just love her like Christ loved the church. Look a lot like death, right? Because how did Christ love the church? He died for her, right? Yeah, yeah. Look a lot like dying, but just love your wife well." He goes, "I can't love her." When she's treating me this way. You, are you mean to me that I'm supposed to love my wife when she treats me this way? I was like, now you're getting it. Now you're getting it. Because we do what we were last commanded to do. We don't invent it, we don't invent it as we go. We do what we were last commanded to do. First, so what do I want you to do? I want you to do what you were last commanded to do. When you're suffering, when your emotions are in upheaval, what do I want you to do? I want you to do what you were last commanded by God to do through his word. Then, so I want you to do, and then I want you to observe. Here's the observation that I want you to make. In verse 19, here's what the Bible says. Then the people, verse 19, then the people asked me, won't you tell us what these things have to do with us. Look up at me. The people saw Ezekiel's wife die and that he didn't respond in the traditional way to mourn and they knew that he was a prophet of God so they were like, why aren't you mourning? Why aren't you wailing? Why haven't you taken off your turban? Why haven't you accepted food? Why haven't you... Why? Listen to me. When we read the Bible... This is, I'm going to give you a Bible study technique. When you read the Bible, you'll read the Bible as giving instruction or description. Does that make sense? Like sometimes you'll read something in the Bible, right? So, right, there's an army coming after Moses, and then there's, a, there's like a, a, a body of water in front of them, and, you know, Moses slams the staff down, and the water parts and the whole people get about all over on the other side on dry land, right? That's descriptive. That's not instructive. So if you're ever running from your life, from some people who are pursuing you, and you get to the East River, don't hit the water with a stick. Start swimming, right? Because it's not instructive, it's descriptive. It's telling you what happened then with those people at that time. What we're about to read here is descriptive. So, in other words, don't ever tell anybody, don't cry. 
Or don't ever tell anybody, be strong, especially at a funeral. That's the most cruel thing to say. Be strong, be strong, be strong. Are you kidding? I mean, I'll give you a left hook if you want me to be strong. I mean, we can do that. That's crazy. It's insane to tell people, be strong. Let me tell you what strong people do when they're hurt. They cry. Let me tell you what strong people do when they, they see something funny. They laugh. It's the most spiritual thing you can do when you see something funny is laugh. The most spiritual thing you can do when you're deeply hurt is cry. Does that make sense? So, okay, so when you see people suffer, please don't be that kind of church. Oh, don't worry. God meant it for good. Just shh. Don't do that. Just say, I, you know, just say, I'm sorry for your pain. But here's the deal. So they get to the, so, the, so Ezekiel, God has told Ezekiel, and here's the instruction. He's told not to mourn. God is not telling you not to mourn if you lose a loved one or if you go through suffering or you go, that's not what God's telling you. God gave Ezekiel. But one of the things that I want you to observe, so I gave you an instruction, something to do and something to observe, is that people were watching Ezekiel. Let me submit that when you suffer, people will watch you. People are watching you all the time. I mean, your kids are watching you all the time. Your coworkers, your students, your, 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 I mean, everybody, your friends, your family, they're watching you all the time. They watched Ezekiel and they asked about God. Let me ask you something. When people watch you, do they ask about God or do they just question him? Here's the deal. Please, live your life in such a way that when you go through suffering, I want you, I want people to glorify God. I want people to go, tell us more about God. Tell us more about God. Now, Ezekiel was going to give them some instruction, instruction that God clearly had told them. He's going to tell them, just like God lost his bride when his people turned their back on him, just like I lost my bride when she died, you're going to lose your security, your hometown, your all that stuff. But listen to me. You have an opportunity when you suffer to glorify God. Not so that, you know, people will look, oh my gosh. I mean, you've met people like this, haven't you? Have you ever met somebody where they're just going through it? I mean, their kid died. I've seen these people. They're like my heroes. And, and, and they're suffering and they're going through it. And yet they're going through it with such power. I don't even know how to say it. And, 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 and it's like, I, have you ever been around those people? And you go, yeah, but don't you know, if it keeps on going this way, and it's like you try to instruct them so that they could feel as bad as you do, right? You try to give them a little bit more details. And God says, eh, listen, listen. Those people say, I know better than you. I know, oh, I know those details that you gave me, and I know more things that you don't know. But I trust in the king. I'm living for the glory of God. Listen to me. You will not know why you go through some of the suffering, some of the illnesses, some of the temperament stuff, some of the pain and suffering that you go through. You will not know why you go through it. But you can know the one who can get you through. You can know the one who can strengthen you through. So the first thing I want you to do, when you experience 
a great pain and a great suffering, the first thing I want you to do is simply do what God has called you to do. Just do the next right thing. Do what he's, the last thing that he commanded. Do that. Oh, get up, worship him. Read his word. Pray to him. Seek his face. Honor him with your whole heart and your whole life and your whole mind. Do that. Second thing I want you to do is I want you to observe that people are looking at you. And that means for you that you have an opportunity to share Jesus even in the midst of your suffering. Now, we're going to close up. The musicians are going to come up. I'm telling you this, listen to me. Because in the middle of this week, in the middle of this week, in the middle of this month, in the middle of this year, listen to me. You're going to go through it. You're going to suffer. And if you think that life is just for you, for your peace, for your joy, for your happiness, for you, you're going to suffer needlessly. I don't want you to live like that. I want you to suffer for the glory of God because everything is for the glory of God. Now, I want you to listen up. Husbands, fathers, listen up. Listen up. What I want you to do is I want you to go home and I want you to describe to your kids that suffering happens, but we live for God's glory and not for our own pleasure. You go, how can I do that? I can't share Ezekiel with my kid. They won't get it. I agree with you. Share with them Psalm 13. Psalm 13 is a psalm that speaks, like the first few verses speak about, my enemies are gloating over me. This is, this is great and painful. I can't take... And then the last two verses say, God, you're great. I'm going to trust you. This is painful, but I'm going to trust you. Listen. Husbands, go to your wives and instruct them and say, you know what? I've let our attitude towards one another influence the way I behave towards you. I've let circumstances... I haven't... I, I, I got into the thick of the battle and I didn't go with the last thing that I was commanded to, which is to love you like Christ loved the church. What I've decided to do is I decided to do my own thing and I treated you only as good as you treated me and, and, and it just hasn't been good. Listen, if it means that I suffer for the rest of our marriage, I'm going to love God, glorify God, worship God in loving and sacrificing for you. Women, listen, tell your sisters that suffering is a part of life. Tell your, tell your moms and your dads, listen, in other words, don't just take this information, put it in a notepad, and then go home and do nothing with it. Share it with someone. I want us to be a church that disciples one another and helps each other grow. Tell your children. When you tell your children, don't forget to add this, there was a wife, a bride that was going to lose her life, be eternally separated from her bridegroom. And the bridegroom saw this and said, I cannot abide by this. And so he came from heaven to earth and he lived for the bride, the church. And he didn't watch her die, but in fact, he gave his life for her. And so, 
when you tell about suffering. I was talking to someone about suffering yesterday. And he said, but man, there's so much suffering. How could you believe in God? How could I not? Look at how my king suffered. He suffered on the cross so you and I don't have to. You and I go through the shadow of death because he went through death for real. You and I go through a a, a portion of suffering because Jesus took on all the suffering, all the disease, all the pain. We can glorify God in our suffering because he felt the wrath of God in his. Oh, you've been given something precious. Even when you don't understand. I'll close with this. I had a friend when he was growing up. When he was growing up, he begged God, God, bring daddy home. Would you bring daddy home? And every day he prayed this simple prayer, bring daddy home. Never did come. After a few years of praying that prayer, the boy thought, God, you don't want anything to do with me. I'm cursed. I don't want... You don't want anything to do with me. He started to live a life of great sin and great debauchery. After um, a lot of suffering and a lot of pain and a lot of misery, he went to a 12-step program. He got clean. He connected well. He connected with God. Went to a 12-step program. Um, God did some great things. Years later, he was talking to his sister in Florida. This is pretty interesting. And they were talking about God and how he thought he was cursed by God and God wanted nothing to do with him because every day he prayed for this simple prayer that dad would come home. She stopped him right there. She said, you were praying that dad would come home? He said, yes. He goes, I was praying that dad would not come home. See, there were certain things that had happened between dad and her that were awful, terrible that no one should do. And so God, listen to me, God had to break a little boy's heart in order to protect the little girl. God did it. Now we know why that happened 25 years later. But there's some suffering that you're going to go through that if you knew what God knew, you would agree with God in allowing him to do it, but you're not going to know. And so what I'm begging you to do is just trust him. Say, God, well, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to put it in your hands. I don't know why, but you are glorious, and I can live for your glory and not my happiness. That's my prayer for all of you. Whether it's a lousy marriage or disobedient kids, whether it's a bad uh, 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 prognosis from the doctor or a drunk driver, Whatever it is, you'll go, God, I don't know why. I don't claim to understand why. I don't get this, but I know that I can trust you because you went on the cross and paid the suffering for my sin. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for my friends. I thank you for bringing them here. And Lord, I know that this was heavy stuff. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that in the suffering that they go through, in the suffering that they are going through, Lord, that you would make your glory the primary focus, that they would experience you in ways that they never imagined, that they wouldn't live for their honor and their glory, but they would live for your honor and your glory. And Lord, that that would be enough. 
Father, I pray for each one of my friends. I pray that you sustain them. I pray that you give them, that you give them suffering grace to endure the pain. I pray that you remind them that you're with them every step of the way. I pray, oh God, that as they go through this and they do the last thing that they were commanded to do, that they would experience your encouragement throughout the time. And I pray, oh God, that they would recognize that others are watching. Father, draw them to yourself that they might glorify you even in the midst of suffering. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.